When you lose someone by suicide, the why just plagues you. You know, you especially when you, you love that person, you were close to that person. But I had this hunch that there was something I didn't know. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. When 32-year-old Peter Fadovich died by suicide in 1994, he left behind his adoring wife, his four children who were under five years of age, and a million questions. Fadovich's widow, Jenny Grosvenor, pushed the questions aside until now. Grosvenor has spent the past few years pursuing the truth behind what tormented her young husband to take his own life in the waters of Huntington Gorge in Richmond, Vermont. She finally discovered his dark secret. In the late 1970s, Fadovich was the victim of sexual abuse by a priest at Archbishop Stepanak High School in White Plains, New York, a Catholic high school. Fadovich is far from alone. According to bishopaccountability.org, a nonprofit that tracks clergy abuse allegations, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has reported that over 7,000 clergy were credibly accused of child sexual abuse between 1950 and 2018. The conference reports that there have been over 20,000 victims. The Catholic Church has paid out over $4 billion to settle clergy abuse cases. Last week, Jenny Grosvenor published a searing article in the Daily Beast titled A Widow's Hunt for the Priest Who Prayed on Her Husband. It told the story of her years-long pursuit of the truth. Jenny Grosvenor is a senior lecturer in the Department of English at the University of Vermont. She has worked at Life Magazine and Sports Illustrated and is writing a memoir about suicide, priest sexual abuse, and survival. Jenny Grosvenor, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Let's begin where you begin your story, the morning of Tuesday, June 14th, 1994. Talk about what happened that day. That day, my husband went to work, and I knew he was distressed about various parts of his life. And I was concerned, um, but I didn't realize that he was so depressed um, and was considering ending his own life. So I found out later that day when police showed up at my door to let me know that they found his car parked along the guardrail of the Huntington Gorge. And at that time, I had two babies at home and two at his parents' house. And it was shocking. It was, uh, I probably went into shock, I'm, you know, remembering it now. And then um, from there, the investigation unfolded as to what happened. Um, we, they eventually, the police eventually found his body in the Huntington Gorge. And from there, uh, we had a, a beautiful Father's Day service um, at the Richmond Congregational Church and buried him in the Waitsfield Cemetery up in the Common Cemetery. Um, and that's because our love story centers around Vermont, which um, that's another reason I'm glad to have this conversation with you. 
because it is a Vermont story. We met in Manhattan. I was a writer, copywriter, producer. He was um, an advertising sales director for Broadway Video, which is owned by Lauren Michaels, which is Saturday Night Live. And I was his client, and we hit it off, and he invited me to go skiing up in Waitsfield. Um, We stayed at the Tucker Hill Inn and returned many times. I mean, we drove up, you know, from Manhattan on the weekends in his maroon Subaru, uh, maroon Saab, sorry. And, um, you know, it was the chicken bone days. You know, I don't, people will remember that. We used to hang out and drive back and forth. And we loved Vermont. We fell in love in Manhattan and we decided to get married and had our wedding in Waitsfield um, which is partly why he's buried there. So um, he also went to St. Michael's College. So that was his draw to the Burlington area. Mine was, I used to just ski at Sugarbush um, growing up in Albany. So so our, our love story um, is about Vermont and all our babies were born in Vermont and at Flet- what was Fletcher Allen. And, um, and then... We had this really funky house up in Bolton Valley on the top of the mountain there at the in the in the resort and used to ski on the weekends right from the house and friends used to come up all the time and it was it was a really great life. So it was quite a shock um, when he died. Peter was 32 when he died and uh, when the police, came to notify you they brought you the note that he left the suicide note and one line in there stood out to you the line was this thing has been in me for years it was time to come out and you wrote that that really jumped out at you what did you think he meant at the time I didn't think about it as much as I have over the decades, um, and at the time, to be perfectly honest, I was really in shock and surviving. So I spent a lot of years doing that and reading and writing and reading and writing. I've I've studied uh, first. I studied suicide, then I studied trauma, then I studied. Um, like in the body keeps a score, the connection between trauma and suicide. And I'm a reader and a writer, and that makes me even more curious. And when you lose someone by suicide, the why just plagues you. You know, you especially when you, you love that person, you were close to that person. Um I'll have to say, Albert Camus, you know, in the myth of Sisyphus, says, you know, the reason is always unverifiable. But I had this hunch that there was something I didn't know. And my quest began really several years later. Um, And a lot of my quest was through journaling and my writing and then my teaching of writing and... I had, you know, things came back for me, too. I mean, the way Peter said that, you know, he had repressed memories. 
um, fragments of memories. I did the same thing, I think, as a survival mechanism. And now, or, or then, after when I finally said, wow, I have a lot of stuff in this box, in this box of memorabilia and things I'd saved. And I started digging through that and thought, wow, why, why does he have a tape from a priest, for example, um, that's helping him relax? You know, the, the, that was one of, actually my first clue. Um, the tape is not in, is not prominent in this article, um, but it was something I, that really kept kind of nagging at me. You know, why, you know, why this priest? Why a priest? What really happened? And then I remembered the articles that I was sent in 2002. And like a lot of the stories... So let me... Yeah. That's a significant moment in your yes. life and in the story. Yes. So Peter dies in 1994. Yes. You are now a widow and the mother of four children under age five, yes. which is a staggering thought. Um, and it is eight years later that you get a letter in the mail from Peter's childhood neighbors. What is in that letter? Articles and and a couple sticky notes. You know, it wasn't. Um, you know, this is and and I've I've heard from them. I love them, Rita, Mary. Um, you know, when this happens to people, and I I've been trying to process this even still since I wrote the article. But when this happens to people, um, you know, there's so much shame around priest abuse and suicide um, and nobody really wants to talk about it but they want to talk about it you know I mean it's it's I've heard from I can't even believe hundreds at this point of people um, from the article with the same thing saying the same thing you know thank you for, for giving this a voice I you know this happened to me um, I got a handwritten letter from um, a 72 year old man from California Yesterday, this happened to me. I got an email today from a priest. This happened to me. You know, um, thank you for saying something. Of course, it didn't happen to me, so maybe it's easier for me to be a voice. Plus, I am a writer, and I understand how hard that is for people to talk about it. Um, so that those articles, they were trying to tell me. But I was busy, <laughs> you know. I was a mom. I was still trying to, like, you know, move on and 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 raise these, you know, children. And um, but then it started to really sink in, you know. Now, uh, say what the articles said. Oh, so the articles were very clearly stating that there's this Father Malone at Archbishop Stepanak High School, who, which was Peter's High School in Peter's White Plains, High School, New York. Yes who was out on the streets at night soliciting sex, um, was out in a three-way stop soliciting sex, um, and was originally, in the first article, it was the headline was, you know, sex case, you know, sex, sex abuse. I don't think they use abuse, but um, the first article it got brushed under the rug and he got promoted to president. 
So, which is the same as principal. It's very confusing in Stepanak, but um, they have principals and presidents. So he got promoted by, I believe it was Cardinal Spellman. And then the next time it happened in 88, so these are two separate articles, and written by Gary Stern, mostly, who I was also in contact with by email, um, and asked him about it, and he said it was horrible what was going on there. Um so I happen to have Peter's yearbook, and I'm, I'm, I'm a keeper. I save things. So I opened it up, and I saw this, and he had signed it. And, and these, Father Malone had signed it. Father Malone. And these, there were these, it was these dots, you know. I, I, I'll, I'll have to use the, the crumbs, like I'm on the way to the cottage, you know. And it was like these crumbs kept leading me to, down this path, of something happened. Something happened to Peter. And the articles were the first step. And once again, I let it, I let it go. I mean, I didn't just, I, I kept living my life. You had suspected something. What did you suspect uh, already, even before you got these articles? Um, before I got the articles... I, he was so happy and I, I, I yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard from all, a lot of his friends, but vibrant, um, I just knew it had to be something. It had to be something bigger than me, bigger than the kids, bigger than the world, bigger than his family, something else. And, um, and to be perfectly honest, the tape really stuck with me for a while. And what, Explain what was the tape. It was simply a relaxation tape where there was this voice of Father Maurice Willette speaking. It was hypnotic. It was, imagine a white screen. Count backwards. One, two, three. And I with my imagination and my writing, because I was also getting my MFA and writing a lot of, of um, pieces, started to imagine Peter driving home listening to this tape. And I thought, there's something, there's something here, but I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. And then I pulled out the articles and then I contacted his friend, Bert, who's um, in Burlington, my, my lawyer friend, and said, you know, I really think something happened, you know. And he's the one who said, you got to go down there. And, I mean, this is fast forward. To, to the high school. To, to the high Archbishop school. Archbishop High School. Right. And, and try to find out what happened. So one other thing happens in 2002, and that's that the Boston Globe uh, publishes what becomes a Pulitzer Prize-winning series on pre-sex abuse in the Boston Archdiocese, which many people know as uh, the movie Spotlight, uh, named for the Spotlight investigative team at the Globe. Did you read that series at the time, and did it register with you in some way? Honestly, I did not. But this is a very, this is a very important point. The lag, the time lag that has gone on 
in this whole priest abuse saga. Um, it's happened in Burlington. Um, priests, I mean, 19, I'll, I'll, I'll just say 1950, okay? I mean, obviously it was happening way before that. But I've looked at charts and graphs that show the when the most priests were ordained and 20 years later the most people were abused. I mean, I've, I, and this is in the Archdiocese of New York, but Burlington didn't come out with their list until 2019, okay? Spotlight, that team uncovered all that stuff in 2002. The movie came out in 2016. I've had Catholic friends, and I do want to state for the record, I am, have nothing against Catholics. I have a lot of good friends who are Catholic. I Friends, colleagues, I've, I've extended family who are Catholic. This is not about that. This is about pedophiles within a system where there was complicity and cover-ups. And the, it, it happens in other systems, too. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, I, I was raised Anglican. I'm sure there's stuff going on that went on. But the lag, you can really study this, this Catholic priest lag, which really frustrates me because that's part of the problem. So I had really good friends say, well, when I saw that movie, I, I stopped practicing. You know, I, I couldn't. So, but, but if you look at that timeline, um, another really troubling fact that I'm, I'm, I'm really still um, ruminating on, I guess I could say I'm ruminating, is what was going on at St. Michael's College. So that, and that's where Father Willette was. So they came out with their list in 2019 also, but they kept it from Bishop Coyne. So they kept it off the Burlington list. So there, there's a whole story there. Derek Brower um, covered a lot of those stories, and I would like to talk to him at some point. But um, there, there's a lot that went on at St. Michael's College that was covered up, and it was during the years when Peter was there. So there just there's a lot that I still might investigate. Um, but what happened with this story is... 2002, that's when a lot of things kept started coming out. But this is stuff that was going on for 50 years. And so, and then Spotlight came out, which I think really, ah, thank goodness, right? It, it shook up the world. Between 2002 and when Spotlight came out, I did start investigating. I started watching documentaries. Um, Amy Berg's Deliver Us From Evil is I highly recommend about Oliver O'Grady, just a serial, terrible serial priest, um, pedophile, um, twist of faith. Because I started trying to figure out if it happened, how might it happen? Now, this is the writer in me, and this is the reader in me, and this is the investigator in me. But it really propelled me, right, to eventually get in my car, my, you know, my old, old Volvo. <laughs> and drive down to Archbishop Stepanak. So this is 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are over two decades mm-hmm. since uh, Peter's death. What possesses you to go to Archbishop Stepanak High School, and what were you hoping to do there and find there? Um, the truth. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it was really, I wanted to find the truth. And I believed it might be there. 
Um, and what what propelled me even more was the fact that when I looked up the website, I found this Father Thomas Collins, who happened to be class of 79 and is currently the president of Archbishop Stepanek High School. So I thought, wow, he can tell me. He can talk to me. I mean, he's in the yearbook. They all wear these big bow ties. and He yeah. was Peter's classmate. Yes, he was Peter's classmate. So I thought, wow, this, this at least, if nothing else, I can talk to him about Peter, you know. But this was more than going to talk, reminisce about your husband. You were going to confront his tormentors. Father Malone, you would hope to find. Yes. And this Father Collins, the principal of Stepanak. What were you going to say to them if you met them? This has now been festering in you for 20 years. What do you say to the person who had a hand in the death of your husband? Well, this is, um, there's a scene that I don't think is in the article um, of me trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, it's in my book. So I've been writing a book about this. So in my memoir, I'm sitting in a car with my, my friend, try, really trying to figure out what I'm going to say. I talked to Bert, what am I going to say? Um, part of me, there's, there was this part of me that said, I'm going to just wing it and see what happens. And unfortunately, I, I really chickened out when I got to Tom Collins' door, but that's, that's part of the article. Um, but I knew Father Malone. I, I was going to Father Malone's house after the school. I knew he wasn't at the school. So first I wanted to find out what I could at least surmise at the school. And then I had Father Malone's address and I was going to, I did knock on his door, but there was no one home. And, um, and I was going to ask him about what happened. And I, I wanted to hear, you know, and I wanted to tell him what happened to my family, what happened to me. You know, and that this isn't okay. You know, so I guess I. That's that was probably my ultimate goal. Did you have questions? What were those, or were you going to just sort of tell him your truth? Well, I had. I, I would have to ask questions, because it wasn't a truth yet. It was not a truth at all, during the whole trip. So it was a truth-seeking trip, but. When I came back was when I wrote the long letter to Father Collins. I want to go back to when you enter Stepanak High School and you go down the same halls that your late husband went down, though, as you write, and I do want to say the writing of your story is as beautiful and powerful as the story that you tell. Um, you're a beautiful writer and you describe in vivid detail going down these long, dark, dark hallways past the doors that say diocesan faculty only, students keep out, knowing that Peter would have gone past and through those doors to reach the priest's quarters who was abusing him. You went down that hallway and through those doors. What were you thinking as you traveled that same path? I was really still just filled with questions. I, I didn't have proof. I wanted proof. 
I, I, I wanted to, I didn't know what, I was just searching, you know? I mean, I never got the proof till I got home. But I studied the coffee mugs and I don't know, I wanted to somehow figure it out and, you know, I, I, don't, I, I am a very spiritual person. Um, I was very religious and um, I do believe that Peter has been part of this. <laughs> so um, I, I really feel strongly that he has been with me on this, on this journey. You recount getting to the end of a long, dark hallway and being stunned to look up and seeing the nameplate of Father Collins, the principal of the school, the classmate of Peter, the person you were there to seek out. What did you do? I froze. And I think as I expressed it in the article, I felt this tremendous fear but I didn't know why. And I stood outside that door and I heard a television and I heard his cough and I knew he was in there and I could, it, it, was, it was bizarre. I could not, I felt almost paralyzed. I could not raise my arm and knock on that door. I, I it was, I was honestly incredibly disappointed with myself when I got back in my car and left. Left, but um, at the time, it really was so visceral. I could not. I was so afraid to knock on that door. What were you afraid might happen, or that you might learn? I was afraid that I'd get in trouble, which goes way back to my younger days, but. I would. I was afraid I'd get in trouble, um, and I was. I was. Yeah, I, I had a little fear for my own physical safety, but I mostly. Um, I don't know. I I heard stories. I that I was going to be like this. You know, I guess security security was going to like carry me off the premises or something, or you know, I was breaking some law, or you know, um, it's this idea of power. You know, it's this idea that, I mean, that's where it all comes from in the first place. Um, priests are like God to a lot of parishioners, to people like Peter. Um, you know, they their parents they they come to dinner and and this is what Kevin Mahoney had said you know this was another classmate of Peter's yes, yeah who revealed that he was abused yes yes by by a, a monsignor white so um in, in the history of Stepanak there was this monsignor white malone and then 10 years later o'keefe um so it was, it was quite it was quite a quite a long history of priests who were, um, I, I've heard from classmates also who said they never took the dare to go to the third floor. This is the elevator that I rode to go where I wasn't supposed to go, I guess. Um, so they never took the dare. And 
I had one um, person reach out to me from Stepanak, class of 76, which is actually Kevin Mahoney's class, and um, said that seven of them had gotten together um, on Zoom after they read my article and talked about it, and that they had never experienced the abuse themselves, but that they were honestly feeling a survivor's guilt. So you go, you back away from Collins's room, you go out to Father Malone's house in Southampton, and you find out from neighbors that he died, mm -hmm. and that uh, his funeral was attended by a niece. Mm -hmm. But then three days later, talk about a stroke of fate. You get a letter from the Archdiocese of New York. What did it say? Well, the reason I got the letter is because I wrote a letter. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's clear in the article, but um, three days later, well, one day later, I mean, driving back to Vermont, um, looking in my rearview mirror, you know, this is all in my book, um, I was beside myself because I had not really gotten the proof I wanted. And and yet I, I knew even more something had happened. I just had this gut, right? So I got home and I started doing what I always do, which is starting write, just started writing stuff, you know, and scraps of paper and writers know we leave stuff everywhere. Um, and I'm writing stuff down and I'm like, I'm raging, but I'm still teaching and I'm functioning and I'm going through my life. But um, five pages late, I, I, I composed a five page later letter and I sent it to, to Father Tom Collins and I CC'd every single alumni and staff member that I could find on the website and included them all in it. And that was when the next day or two days later. I received the letter from the Archdiocese from Edward Meckman, the safe protection, that's what they call it, safe protection person, um, which is shocking to me. Safe but, environment. Yes, yeah, safe environment protection something. And he's in New York. And um, there was a little uh, email response attached to his email later, like the next day that said, it was from a James, I think it was McCabe, who was an alumni of Stepanak, that said, I think she's filed. Oh, good. Good work, Ed. You know, so there was this sort of behind the scenes, you know, let's do something, get her to file, make it go away. Um, let me let me just uh, decode that, what you mean <laughs> by get her to file. So. This Safe Environment Protection Committee is a committee of the Archdiocese. It is intended to deal with victims of and survivors of pre-sexual abuse. And the letter that you receive is a full acknowledgement that Peter was a victim. I, we can't say survivor. No, uh, a victim. The word abuse. Yes, of abuse. So there it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Twenty odd years later, you got that acknowledgement. And the filing is that once they pay you off, um, it's case closed mm -hmm. for the archdiocese, or so they hope. Well, yes, litigation-wise, yeah. So, and this was established by Cardinal Dolan, who um, has a, a long history 
and look it up. <laughs> um, he was in Milwaukee, and Milwaukee has a very active group called Courageous Conversations, Awake Milwaukee. Um, and this was established for this reason. Um, and as I express, I was, I really was shocked. Um, you know, I wrote that letter just, you know, scathing and, you know, accusing them of whatever they have done. And, and to get that clear, straight, your husband was abused letter, I, I, I was, uh, I was shocked. I, it was so painful. How did they know? What was in ah, their files ah. that, you know, Peter Fadovich's name appeared? Yes. Okay, he was in a file. And this is what really makes me very upset. And I um, I, I really admire um, Ely, I forget his first name, but the, who wrote the New Yorker article. And, you know, I was working with... So Cardinal Dolan hired Kenneth Feinberg. And Camille Byros, but Kenneth Feinberg, so 9-11 attorney. And they had, they called it in the drawer, cases that were in the drawer. So here's Malone, who was a serial child abuser, pedophile, living on the premises of a boys' school, a day school, by the way, which is pretty, you know, Amazing. He was going out and soliciting sex at night at a three-way stop. And they had him on a list. And they had, I, I, I'm, I would love to, I, I haven't heard from fellow victims of Peter, but I, that's what really is um, so saddening that this would never have come out if I hadn't driven down there and written that letter. So they knew, but they weren't going to tell you, a survivor, until you spoke up. Right. No. I mean, they, there are lots of survivors right now who probably have no idea. They, they're, they're never going to go out and tell us. They're not going to tell somebody. I, I, as I state in my article, I received a condolence letter from um, one of their most notorious pedophiles, um, O'Keefe, who was president of Stepanak at the time that Peter died. You know, this very just form letter, sorry, so, you know, we'll say prayers for your husband. He was abusing boys, and he sent that letter, and he had to know. Um, and for how long? You know, that's that's the question. You know, I, I like to believe that it's, there's, there's some end insight or that these cases are waning, but... Think of all the people that will never know um, that that happened. I mean, and, and even a lot who are alive, you know, and a lot of people can't talk about it. This is, this is part of, you know, part of the pain that people are carrying around. I mean, I was thanked by so many people for being a voice for Peter, for other survivors, for some of our, my extended family members who couldn't talk about it, you know, and... You know, for me, there's healing in writing. And for others, the reason that I even would be as vulnerable as I was and put this out there is because I was hoping there would be healing for others who have been through that. 
let's talk a little bit about the issue of pre-sexual abuse and what are some of the unique dynamics of, of it. Um, who the abusers seek out and why priests are in this unique position of power that they are, mm-hmm. say, in Peter's life. Right, right. So um, I did, you know, I've read, again, I've, I've read a lot. I mean, I read a lot about suicide, and then I read a lot. Um, one, of the, one of the books that was really helpful for me was Anna Salter's um, Predators. Pedophiles is the sub, subtitle. Um, but I've also heard this from other people. And because I've also heard it from emails I've gotten in response to the article, which is really interesting. People who were not targets, you know, like it's who are the targets, right? Um, And why don't they tell, right? I mean, so this is um, a question that plagues all of us. And in Anna, Anna Salter's book, she explains that one, first of all, priests are in amazing places of power um, to the point of being holy and to, to the point of being God, as we hear in Spotlight. You know, Phil Saviano says, it's like God. Um, how do you say no, right? So there's that. And then, according to this book I read, if they, priests kind of check out, well, pedophiles in general, but I happen to read about this, who is going to tell and who isn't, right? So if they approach a victim and get away with it and, and realize they're not going to tell, they keep doing it. And they probably, you know, other people probably do it. So that was, that was my, my fear with Peter when he went to St. Mike's. But I've had some friends of his say to me, if that happened to me, I was going to tell my parents or I was going to punch them in the face, right? Somehow, first there's the whole idea of power, right? Um, I, I am not a psychologist and I am not um, equipped to talk about what's going on sexually with, with priests who are not able to marry and, you know, have to remain celibate. I. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about that, that, that maybe if that might change, other things would change, which would be really great. So, um, because of everything that's come out, um, I mean, look at Burlington. I mean, and I mean, we, there's also the orphanage, but that's a whole other story, but the Burlington orphanage, St. Joseph's, I mean, it was horrendous what was going on there. So there's this getting away with it. And then there's just some other, well, what is pedophilia, right? I mean, it's... The other really disturbing dimension of the pre-sex abuse uh, scandals has been what happens or doesn't happen to the priests, to the abusers. What do you know happened with Father Malone, uh, Peter's abuser, when he's outed, he doesn't just go off into, uh, what does the church do with him? Well, I know for a fact that the church uh, moved him to different parishes, twice, um, because I studied his timeline. Um, and so there are people in those parishes who 
for sure were prey. Um, and I don't know exactly because I haven't talked to any of them. But um, so first he got moved to several parishes. And then he was saying mass still in the Hamptons, supposedly. Um, he was never defrocked. And I thought that O'Keefe was defrocked. But it's so funny, but they don't get convicted. There is no criminal recourse. Um, and it, it, it's hard. I, I've had, I heard this in this one letter, and also I, I've studied some or, or been in correspondence with people who, um, another young man, very sad story. His name is Nate, um, and he's in Milwaukee, and he took his own life for this very reason as well. And um, it was because they would not admit that it happened. It would, they would not say, all right, this happened and we're going to do something with those priests. You know, they are going to be accountable. And the, the accountability is, you know, a lot of people, that's what they want. They want the church to say, they did this put him in jail or whatever. I'm not, you know, um, however they want to deal with it. Pope Francis, come on. Um, that's what a lot of victims say will help them heal if something is done. So. Talk about the fallout for your family. You're a window into this world. You're one widow, one family of four children. What happened after um, you know, in the ensuing years after Peter's death? Well, after his death, um, we were in survival mode. And I, I wasn't even, um, I was, you know, creating my teaching career. Um, my kids were in school. Um, you know, they all went to very good colleges. Um you know, we, you know, the loss, um, of course the loss was ours, but the loss that uh, that Peter, had, you know, I mean, he lost so much. I mean, he, I mean these kids are fabulous, so I don't, I don't want to get into all my kids, but, um, and, and he didn't get to be a part of that, you know. Um, and, he, and it was, a lot of it was just, he, a lot of what happened to him was repressed, you know, and, and it really, um, I do have, I always wondered why 1994. And only recently have I figured out a possible connection. And that was from reading the 2019 articles about St. Michael's College, which is bizarre. Um, when right before Peter died, he had changed jobs from WPTZ to the Burlington Free Press. And the change seemed to stress him out. Um, and nobody could really figure out what it was. So just recently I read that one of um, a victim from St. Michael's College who lives down in Connecticut in 1994 started running newspaper advertisements looking for fellow victims. That gave me chills because the shame is so great. And when Peter used the words come out, you know, that, that like, he didn't want that to come out. 
he he wanted that to be gone forever. What happened to him with Father Malone? You know, he didn't want that. He want he had a great life, and he tried so hard to just make that go away. And and the damage is significant. And if you read books on trauma, you know that's it's it's a huge factor. You know, there's never one factor in suicide either. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not, you know, it's not that simple. Um, but this was very clearly something that impacted Peter's ability to, to live. Is sexual abuse different for men than for women, for young men than for women? Does one end in suicide more than the other? I'm just curious what you've learned about this no i haven't i really i mean i have not um but i i equate the two you know the me too movements and you know the i mean abuse is abuse um so it's horrific no matter how it happens and no matter your gender or um the circumstances, it's never okay. And um, I do not know the difference. Um, I, yeah, I, I haven't really studied that. I just know that the telling of stories is what has gotten, has helped people and has, and may have some impact to prevent it from happening moving forward. And that's in every case. Can you just remind us, you've mentioned several times about the St. Mike's case. Um, what happened there? Well, there's one priest is still alive, supposedly, from what I've read. And this is seven days. I'm, I'm quoting seven days. Um, they did some great stories um, uncovering what was going on at St. Mike's because they had hid the list. Um, one is Charles Manny and... The other is this Nelson Zeiter. And because I was doing so much research into this cassette tape that I had from Peter and trying to figure out who is this Maurice Willette. And I did find out that he was down in Selma, Alabama and had marched um, in the civil rights movement and was the most righteous white man in Selma is what he was quoted at. If you look up Father uh, Willette, and then just recently I discovered that, guess who was down there with him? Nelson Zeiter, one of the notorious St. Michael's priest abusers, um, which really made me get chills because I think, I mean, they both came up here together from Selma, hmm. and Zeiter is on the list. You mentioned that since the publication of your article uh, in the Daily Beast, you've had many people reach out to you. What kind of things are you hearing from readers? Um, a huge range. Um, I'm hearing from people who don't know me that they never read long articles and they read my article. <laughs> so, um, which as a writer, um, I appreciate. I'm hearing from St. Michael's alumni who knew Peter, knew his smile, knew his energy, loved him so much. 
and could never understand why he died the way he died. And they are expressing that to me. Um, they're thanking me for bringing this story out and um, his memory. And I'm hearing from Stepanak people, not as many as I thought I would, but I hear, I, I'm still hearing from people every day. So um, I, I think that's you know, happening. And I'm, um, and then I've heard from colleagues, which means a lot to me because, um, you know, I've writing is reading and writing is, is so important to me. And it's, you know, I really teach my students about this idea of decreasing our isolation through the stories that we share, you know, and, um, I went out on a big limb here. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I think, Oh, um, it was it's, it was a hard it was a hard story. You now one of the things that happened from Stepanak after that fateful visit um, was you in fact got a phone call from mm-hmm. Father Collins, the principal, who you were going to see, and it sounded very threatening and accusing you of lying. Has there ever been any? Have you ever heard anything else from that? What do you think he was trying to do? Um, I think he was, well, he was angry that I wrote the letter and copied so many people, I'm sure, you know, so, and he, um, I mean, it's still really surprising to me that he would call me a liar when all of that was going on for all those decades on that third floor you know, where he, where he lives now. Um, and when I did get the tour from somebody at the school, they were very clear that not a lot of priests live here anymore. You know, that, that was then, this is now. And I would love to believe that. I would. And I, I, I would love to hear that, you know, I would love to see more action. You know, I mean, I, I, I check you know, the New York Times mostly, but, you know, I keep checking for articles that show me that action is being taken to stop this, you know. Um, and I just, I hope it is and does. And um, I know that a lot of the people within the faith are struggling with this. And they, they you know, they faith is important. I'm, I'm, um, it's it's got to be painful to hear these stories. Um, for people practicing the faith and, and it, you know, and even, and for their school. I mean, I'm sure he was worried about his school's reputation, right? Right. I know that the Catholic Church has paid out over $2 billion in settlements to survivors and victims of pre-sexual abuse. What do you want, to, what do you think else needs to be done to right this wrong? that that i mean that doesn't right the wrong <laughs> um paying people off does not right the wrong and i mean look at cardinal mccarrick you know i mean he went all the way up to cardinal and they knew about that for for decades okay now this is the arch the cardinal of washington dc who they uh, the vatican had heard credible reports was yes. involved in sexual abuse 
and did nothing. Exactly. So that is a really good example. What needs to happen is that every single report needs to be addressed, handled, and, and something needs to be done about it. You know, I mean, I, I'm not one, I mean, I'm not a specialist in the, the, the I don't, yeah, I mean, I would love to see the change in that faith that, that carries people every week. I mean, there are people who, you know, there are good things about any faith. It's, I'm, you know, um, so what, what's going to happen? You know, what, what? And, and why is it difficult to start really examining that and, and, and seeing what changes might stop this from happening? I mean, the, the email I got today was very disturbing. It was from a priest in the New York Archdiocese. To, he will remain anonymous um, per his request to me, who was raped as a seminarian and nothing was done about it. And he said, I need to do, I, 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 he was telling me I need to do more. No, I mean, I, I really, you know, I, I've, I've told my story um, because I love and honor my husband, my late husband, um, because I think it's important to tell the stories to somehow um, create more action against it. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, it's still happening. We all like to believe it's not. And yes, this was 78, 9 when it happened to Peter. And, and look, look where we are, right? I mean, it's 2021. And not a whole lot is changing. You write in your story, grief has no expiration date. How would you characterize your own sense of closure or lack thereof about Peter's story? Well, um, that, that, that's a true statement, and I think, I think someone else said it, so if you said it, <laughs> sorry I didn't quote you, um, because the, there's no closure in something like this. I mean, that's not, yeah, I mean, writing is helpful, and sharing is helpful, and um, sharing our stories with other people who have the similar experiences is very helpful. Um, the closure, it's a really, it's a tricky, tricky concept because, you know, in, in cases like this with um, shameful occurrences like abuse, suicide, um, the tendency is to repress and to deny and to keep it a secret. And the sad part is that that kills more people. So by telling, I guess I feel a little bit of healing, but I wouldn't say closure. I'll never have closure. Well, Jenny Grobner, I want to thank you for your courage and for your story and for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. The day after we spoke, Jenny Grosvenor contacted me. She wanted to add something to her final answer. She texted me, quote, On your closure question, I said no because I can't bring Peter back. 
but I do find some consolation in knowing that sharing my story could save other victims of this horrific abuse moving forward. Close quote. Then she shared with me an email that she just received in response to her article in the Daily Beast. The email reads, quote, Malone, I refuse to call him father, was our family priest. He was present at every holiday dinner I can remember until I was about 15. When I told my dad that I don't want to be left around him alone anymore because he creeps me out, my dad threw him out. Fast forward to this weekend when my dad read your article and finally remembered that Malone had molested him in the early 1960s. It was a tension-filled weekend. Luckily, now, I think he will get the help that he needs. And as a survivor of priest abuse myself, I can finally understand the turmoil he's been going through. Close quote. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all programs at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.